Amen. You may have a seat. I'm so glad you were here this morning. Beautiful weekend, right? Beautiful opportunity to go outside and do things, and you chose to give up an hour and a half of your morning to come and be with like-minded believers in a place that maybe new, unfamiliar to you, maybe it's a little too familiar for you. But what we want to do is just invite you to join us as we go to the Lord and experience whatever he has for you. It may be different than what he has for me, but that's okay because that's just how he works. But again, as I was praying, that's the only way that can happen is if you are open to it. Because I can promise you, he is ready, willing, and far more able than we could ever expect to speak to you this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be continuing this chapter. We're going to finish chapter 2 next week. Um, so we're going to kind of look at a sermon that Peter just unloads on a, a, the group of people that were around them at the time. And then we're going to watch and see their response next week and how God responds to their response also. I think it's important that we see that when we respond, God responds even more. But it does require us to respond. And in Acts chapter 2, if you remember last week, Jesus, a couple of weeks ago, had ascended into heaven, spectacular fashion. The angels were there. They said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you still standing here? You know what you're supposed to do. Get busy. And they go back and they gather with their, their buddies, about 120 of them, and they are just waiting for the helper to come. And then last week, the helper showed up. And when the helper showed up, something spectacular happened that they were not able to do before. They were able to speak in different languages instantly. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I took French. I don't know why I took French, but I took French in high school and even in college. I took about four years of it. And the only phrase that I remember is il fait Freud. And I only remember that because I used to like to say il fat Freud. That's the only reason I remember that phrase. Four years of language, and I'm not a linguist. I mean, you listen to me talk, and you know that I struggle with English, much less a foreign language. So there's people that are just really gifted and being able to just get it and speak. Well, these guys didn't even study. The Holy Spirit just fell on them, and instantly they were able to speak. Well, there's a, a large group of people, large group of Jews that hear this, and they hear them speaking in their own language, and we're going to see their response. Remember, their response was, well, they're either drunk, or how can this be? Questions came up. And in today's passage, we're going to see Peter leveraging this opportunity to not talk about what they're doing, but talk about how great God is. And so I'm super excited to share this passage with you. It's rather long, so we're going to be here a little extra because I'm going on vacation this week, so I'm just getting all out that I have left. <laughs> just kidding. But it, it is a long passage, but we'll, we'll get through it pretty quick. But here's the thought that I have for you today. Let what they see speak to what you know. Let what people see in your life Speak to what you know about Christ and who you are in him. Hopefully that's going to catch here in a minute. But it's so vital for us. We think we have to have all the right answers, all the right verbiage, know all the scripture, which you should know scripture. And you should know answers and you should have correct verbiage when you're talking about this. But let me tell you something that's going to speak louder than your words. 
your life. How you live Christ out in front of everybody else will always be louder and more clear than what you are saying from your mouth. Uh, This past Thursday in our men's ministry, we were talking about integrity, and that's exactly what this is about. We need to be men and women and teenagers of integrity. That if we claim the name of Christ, that when people see us outside the church in our normal life, that they don't see a difference between the two. Now you're catching it. So for us today, we want people to not only hear the right thing, but we want them to see even more. Let what they see speak to what you know. Because we are commanded that if we know to do right, we are to do it. And if we do not do it, it is sin. Yes. So, are you ready to dive in? This is a good one. So here we go. We're going to be, Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. Read all the way, I know, through 36. I know some of y'all went, you're already snoozing up. Just stay with me because it's a really solid passage. It's very exciting, actually. So remember, all of these people are standing around the 120 who are speaking in different languages. They're questioning How did this happen? How are they able to do this? How are they able to speak? Because remember, they're Galilean. They're kind of not the smart people. But they are able to speak languages that are being understood by people who already are from that country or from that language. And so people are kind of confused. And watch what Peter does. But Peter, of all people, we know how Peter is, standing up with the 11. All of them are standing up raising his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. He's getting their attention. He says, hey, if you can hear my voice, I'm speaking to you. Listen up. You ever had anybody do that? I I have, I'm really good at projecting my voice. And I can get a lot of attention real quick. Not that I like that, but I can. That's what Peter's doing. He's leveraging what God has blessed with him or blessed him with. He's leveraging this boisterous voice that he has. And he says, hey, quiet down. Let me tell you something. He says, let this be known to you and heed my words. In other words, hey, I've got something to share with you. He says, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I I read that as kind of one of those pastor jokes that probably didn't go over very well, but it's almost like, hey, they're not drunk, it's a little too early for that, right? That's kind of, it's almost like, hey, I need your attention, but just relax, I'm not going to land blast you because I'm just going to address the thing that you're bringing up. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but... This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's addressed the drunken question, and now he's addressing how can they speak these languages. He's like, it was, it was told us long ago by the prophet Joel. Now, if a Jew was worth his salt, he would know what the prophet had prophesied. This would resonate with them. They would understand. They would, it would come back to, uh, to some thought of what they had. And here's what he says. Here's what the prophet Joel said. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What happened just a few moments ago? 
When the, when the Spirit came down, it was on all flesh. It was men and women alike, 120 of them in that room, and they were empowered and, uh, by the indwelling Spirit of God. They had something different. And Joel prophesied that that was what was going to happen. He says, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And all my men servants and all my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. In other words, they're going to be able to share truth. They're going to be able to, to talk about what God is doing within them. They're going to be able to talk about what they see. They're going to be able to talk about what God is showing them. They're going to speak what they are experiencing. By the way, that's you and me. You, if you are a true follower of Christ, have been empowered by the indwelling spirit of God in your life to be able to speak to what he's doing in you, to be able to speak to those things that you are experiencing. That's what the spirit of God does for us. Not only does it throw up those red flags and helps us stay away from sin, but it guides us and directs us and empowers us to speak what we know. But it also empowers us to live what we know. He says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. He's talking about two different events here. The first event is what just happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell. Because that also goes with us. When we accept Christ, when we claim him as Lord, when we submit our lives to him, his spirit lives within us, and now we can live for him. But he's also talking about the real end times, the revelation type stuff. That's what those last portions are. So he's bringing both in because we are in the latter days. We've been in the latter days since Christ left. Just so you know. And notice what he says in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's talking about when Rome came in and took over Jerusalem, a lot of Christians survived, but a lot of Jews did not. Because the Christians followed God and God protected them because they cried out to him. And it's the same play for us. When we use Romans 10, 13 that Paul shares, and he actually quotes Joel as well, that when we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Amen. When we stand before him, our salvation will come to fruition, and we will be who we need to be. Weston, can you go back to the scripture one? I, I don't want to do the questions yet. I'm not done. <laughs> so we'll keep going verse 22 men of Israel now he's again addressing them he said okay here's what you should know you should know this prophecy but if you don't let me keep going he says men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know so he's uh, reminding them you saw what he did you know what taken place him Jesus of Nazareth being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death whose responsibility was that boy he put it right on him didn't he 
He said, this is kind of on you. It was prophesied that all this was going to happen, but in case you missed that, let me remind you also of what you have done. But then he goes on. You putting to death whom God raised up. I love that. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David, now, now we're going to another prominent historical king, uh, kingly figure. For David said, says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. David is testifying of the coming Christ and how God is going to use that to bring hope to his life. So you've got an Old Testament prophecy of Joel. And if that didn't work for them, then he goes back to a prominent historical figure in the Jewish culture. King David, the man after God's own heart. And he says, here's what David said, but he doesn't stop there. Watch what he says. Men and brethren, so it's kind of like a new thought. Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. We know how special he is and how amazing he is and how he spoke of the coming Christ. That he is both dead and buried. He's like, this guy's awesome and amazing and special, but he's dead. We know where he's buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He says, listen, we know the prophecy that David prophesied of saying that God told him a king would come through his lineage. We know that. You know that. I'm just reminding you. But... Or he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning of the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. He's looking at the 120. They were with him. They saw him. They experienced him. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. There's the answer to the question. They want to know, how were you able to speak these languages that only we know? There's no way you could have learned it overnight or within an hour. And Peter says, well, remember the prophecy of the one that was to come and David talked about it too? Well, that guy that you guys had crucified... Well, God decided to raise him from the dead, and he's now sitting on the right hand of his father, and he's coming back. He is the reason, because he sent his spirit to live within us, he's the reason why we can do this. What a great argument. And notice how simple it is. Notice that there's no anger, there's no defensiveness, there's no nothing. It's just, here's the truth, figure it out. For David, no, sorry, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. 
both Lord and Christ. Lord of our lives, the one that calls the shots and Christ our Savior. What a great, quick sermon, right? And there's so much in there. So let's kind of pick it apart. Here's the first thing I want you to know. It's not what you think. That's kind of what he's saying to them. Guys, you think this is about being drunk or some um, supernatural thing, which it kind of was supernatural, but it's some hokey thing. It's not what you think, but it should be what you know. He's talking to Jewish people that were here celebrating a feast. They should know the historical context of what was happening. They should have been so much into the scripture and listening in church to where when this happened, it keyed up in their mind and said, oh, that's what this is. Which tells me that I should listen in church and I should know the scripture because it's not over yet. There are still things that are going to come and I need to be versed in understanding of what the scripture is, what it's going to be like to where when it starts happening, I can say, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what it looks like. It's never going to be what we think. When God does something, it's always spectacular and supernatural and way outside the norm. We should be used to that by now in our church, by the way. He has done some crazy stuff for us. It should be what we know. Because the same God that does cool stuff in our church is the same God that did amazing things back in Egypt when he took his people out. It's the same God that allowed one of his prophets to be swallowed by a big fish for a couple days. And to come out stinky, but alive. It's the same God who saw people fall, but restored them. It's the same God. So yes, it may not be what we expect to happen in our lives, but we can go back to what we should know about our God, that he will not leave you nor forsake you. He knows you. He doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. His hand is always on you, and he's watching over you. When you get in that spot and you feel like all is lost, God's not paying attention, stop being in that moment. Remember back to what you know and allow what you know to inform what's happening right here because God may be doing something that you just can't see yet. Peter references something that they should have been familiar with. They should have known the prophecy of Joel and they absolutely should have known and understood David and what he talked so here's some things you can think about. In, in studying this, Barnes gives a couple of thoughts about why they would have asked about, are, are they drunk? And why Peter said, no, 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 it's too early. Well, it really was too early, even for the, the heavy drinkers. It was way too early. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, some of you are like, well, that's not a big deal. Well, should be a big deal. And for them, it, it was a big deal. They don't, that was not a normal thing. In fact, this was usually the morning hour for either worship or sacrifice. So to go into church drunk would have been kind of counterintuitive, right? And it was common for them to not eat until after the 9 o'clock hour, to eat or drink anything. So for them to accuse them of being drunk wasn't fitting for the argument. And that's why Peter, when he looks at them and says, guys, they're not drunk. It's too early for that. It's way too early for that. And plus, if we're to go back to what they know, 
They would have remembered that Joel talked about the outpouring of the Spirit of God on their lives, that these people where the Spirit fell would be able to prophesy in such a way that people would understand it. I think so many times we are waiting for that next big thing for God to reveal that we forget about all the things he's already revealed that we can live just fine on. But uh, Pastor Allen, you don't understand. I gotta have that. It's gotta feed me. It's gotta, what is it feeding? An emotional response? Is that what your faith is based on? I hope not because emotions come and go and boy, they are roller coaster rides. My faith is not based on my emotional interaction with God. My faith is based on the fact that I know who my Redeemer is. I know what he has promised to me and I know what I have submitted to him and I know what he has done on the cross for me. And I see him at work all the time. That is what my faith is based on. Even when I don't see him working, my faith is still based on the fact that I know he's working. Because I know that he does those things. And for whatever reason, these Jewish people needed to be reminded of what they probably already knew. And think about this, these special gifts. There were so many special gifts that we could talk about throughout the New Testament that are given through the Spirit of God. And they come from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with more signs to come. That's what he's talking about. Joel said, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to fall and it's going to be spectacular. But don't blink because there are more signs that are coming that are going to be even more spectacular than that. I mean, what did he say? He talked about... um, Blood, fire, vapor of smoke, sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood. I ain't never seen that yet. That's going to be neat. Weird, scary, but reassuring and calming. Because if you finish that little portion, when are those things going to happen? Right before the great and terrible day of our Lord. Why should that scare me? Why should that intimidate me? My Lord's coming back. Woohoo! I am ready. Even so now, come Lord Jesus, right? Some of you are like, now nah, let's get lunch first. <laughs> and in this moment, Joel gives a phrase that is such a popular phrase for us, especially with the Romans road. But for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, in this moment, what these people, these Christians and these Jews are going to experience with Rome coming in and just running roughshod all over them, there will be a certain amount of them that will be covered by God as those that are truly following him. But the the other Jews that really aren't attached to him through Christ, it's not going to go well for them. But Joel prophesies and says, anybody that will just call on the name of God, on the name of the Lord, that would commit their life to Jesus, that would believe that he really is the son of God, that he really did live a sinless life and that he he died, he was crucified for those sins as a payment that we cannot pay and was buried and was raised to life on the third day. When we commit to that, you will be saved. And when I say saved, here's what that means. My sins that I have from a natural sinful nature from when I was born, that condemns me to hell. God does not want to be around my sin. He doesn't like my sin. He hates my sin. But he has made a provision for me to be able to get past my sin to be able to spend eternity with him. And so what I'm being saved from is from the eternal damnation that my sin holds me to. 
I am being saved from eternal separation from the very one who created me and loved me more than anybody else. I'm being saved from myself. And Joel prophesied that anyone who recognizes that their trajectory at the end of their life is sending them away from God into eternal damnation of hell, if they call on the name of God and repent of their sins and say, I am submitting all that I have to you. You are Lord of my life. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead for me. They will be saved. They will be saved from eternal separation of God. That little short statement is one of the biggest massive statements you could ever imagine. We are talking about your eternal life. And not just your eternal life, but your life right here. Jesus didn't come just that we may have eternal life. He came that we would have a fantastic life here and now. Now, does that mean you're going to win the billion-dollar mega lottery thing and then you're going to get everything that you have? No, no, no. It just means that whether the life that you are living is good or bad in the world's standards, it doesn't matter because you will have God walking with you. You will have his spirit guiding you and helping you process through all of these things to navigate the, the toughness of life. That's the goodness of who he is. And Joel prophesied on this long ago. And Peter is just simply trying to remind them of what this looks like. Peter, and secondly, in his second part of his little sermon here, he appeals to them through a well-known historical king. Who doesn't know King David? Guarantee if I talk to even most non-churchgoers, they might have an inkling of David because of either Goliath or Bathsheba. Something spectacular and something absolutely horrible. But those things were used by God to bring David to be a man after God's own heart. That's good stuff. And so he appeals to what they know. Yeah, you may be seeing something different. Let me tell you why. But you should know already why. Look at this. David recognized in that little short section that he, uh, Peter quotes of David, that he recognized the lordship of the coming Christ. That when Jesus returns, he is Lord. He's Lord. There's no debating that. There's no, well, I don't really feel like he should be. It doesn't matter what you think. Pulled a little Dwayne Johnson the rock on that one. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't even matter what you know. The reality is God is God and Jesus is Lord. And that is what we need to stake our life on. And David, all the way back, stood on that. Secondly, David recognized the hope that would be found in Christ. David never met Jesus. This is years before Jesus came. But David recognized that God was at work doing something. That through David, a king would arrive. And that through that king... Life would be sustained for all people. Now, we want to attribute that to the earthly life. David knew that it wasn't about the earthly life. He knew it was about the heavenly life. And David still died, holding on to that promise of the coming Christ. He's still dead, by the way. He's still in the same tomb that they flopped him in years ago. But one day, he will be raised to life with us. That's cool stuff now. 
Now, this should have been appealing to the Jews, and I hope that it's appealing to you. This should get some type of fire going. If your spark was almost out, it should be at least a little bit of a kindling of a fire by now. And if you did have a fire, it should be a raging one right now. That's amazing stuff. Peter is simply just using what they already know to remind them to get them on board to keep going in the direction that they need to go. Peter appeals to them also through their personal experience. He says, we were witnesses. All of us saw this guy. Now, I find it interesting when he says we, because remember, the 11 are standing there with him. So I wonder, could it be that Peter is speaking in the native language that he has, but all the others are interpreting for him to those that are standing there listening? You talk about a witness? Could you imagine if I had... 11 other people up here that were speaking French and Eng- uh, English, dummy. French and Spanish and Portuguese and whatever, uh, whatever else. And I'm just firing away and they're firing away. Could you imagine how confusing that would be? Except for this one fact. That when the Holy Spirit hones in on your heart and you hone on in him, you only hear from him. And in that moment, all of this was taking place, but Peter was speaking so specifically to those Jews because they should have known and they should have recognized what was happening with these disciples. He says, we've seen and experienced the fulfillment of the prophecies of Joel and David. He says, our salvation has come. Remember, Peter was the one when they were, had the opportunity when Jesus said, hey, why don't you guys just go, do, do you really want to stay here or do you want to leave like these other disciples just left? And Peter said, no, no, no. We're not going anywhere. You have the words of life. Peter knew that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He believed wholeheartedly, even though he denied him, totally different circumstance. Deep down in his heart, he knew that Jesus was Lord. They also watched him die. Do you imagine how painful that was for him? How painful it was for them to watch their friend who did nothing wrong but did everything well and right and helpful to those around him to die one of the most cruel, painful deaths, to watch him be buried and to not know what was going to happen, only to have their hope renewed when he shows up and says, it's me, I'm a little hungry, could you help a man out? He ascended to heaven again. Probably by now, this didn't shock them. They've, seriously, think about all the things that they've experienced and seen with Jesus. And now he's floating up on the cloud. They're like, yeah, why not? Everything else has been spectacular. Why? Couldn't imagine anything else. And yet they were amazed because they were standing there staring. But then not too long after that, potentially maybe about 10 days, maybe shorter, we're not sure, But then that mighty rushing wind coming straight down from heaven, filling that room, having those little flaming tongues above their head, and then they just start speaking languages they've never studied. Wow. This is what is driving Peter. This is his passion. This is why it's so real for him, because he's lived it. He's experienced it. And when they said, how could this be? Maybe they're drunk. He leveraged that opportunity not to derail those people or to chide them, but to simply say, let me tell you about my Jesus. 
Let me tell you about the one that you actually already know about, but I want you to know him internally. That's what's happening here. But he also takes the time in here to kind of throw a couple of digs and say, well, we do know who's responsible. All you guys had this opportunity to experience Jesus and you turned on him. You turned on God in the flesh and you committed him to die. You did that. Not us. But let me tell you about my Jesus and how much he still loves you. And how much he wants for you to be a part of what he's got going on. Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that whoever is a big statement. Doesn't matter where you are in life right now. Doesn't matter how much sin you have, think you've committed. There is no limit to God's forgiveness in that. I think Peter's defense is something that we should take note of. And there's three quick points. Number one, his defense, his sermon, his just standing up and speaking truth is reasonable, it's respectful, but it's firm. I do not believe that we as believers should back down and let people walk over us. However, I also do not believe we as believers should run roughshod over those that don't get it yet. We should be reasonable in our explanation. We should be respectful of those that we are talking to because they don't know any different yet. But we should be firm in our stance, unwavering, immovable, steadfast. Because I know who I've believed in. And I'm persuaded that this commitment between he and I, he's going to honor it in the end as long as I keep my part. And I'm basing my entire life on that. Second thing in his defense, he says his intention was not to defend, but to point to Scripture. Notice in there, how many times does he go to Scripture? Three different opportunities, three different speakers. <coughs> Excuse me, two different speakers. But he uses Scripture. Why does he use Scripture? Because you can't argue with Scripture. It's the Word of God. It's set in stone. It's unchangeable. It's immovable. You can use it to battle with it is our sword and Peter simply says you know what yeah I may be a Galilean my my language may be a little rough but let me tell you about Jesus let me speak to what I already know you know here's the prophet Joel here's King David and let me tell you about this Jesus guy that you had killed and I can speak about him because I know him I know him. I've lived life with him. Three years of my life, I've spent with this man, inside and out. We went everywhere together. We did everything together. The conversations that we had, I wish we had a book big enough with all the conversations over those three and a half years. It'd be crazy. But his intention was not to defend. It was to simply say, here's truth. You can say and believe whatever you want, but here's what I'm going to tell you is the truth. And then lastly, he stands on the truth. Let me ask you a question. When you are talking about your faith, when you're talking about God, what are you standing on? Well, I had this emotional experience one time. I was praising and worshiping and it just moved me and so I know. Well, maybe. 
But let's not stay on the ethereal and surface level stuff. If God has changed your life, if he took you from this awful place over here and placed you in this wonderful place over here, let's talk about that. Because there are millions of people all across this planet that are looking for a way out of their mess. They are pining for someone to stand confidently on what they believe, share the truth that they believe in, in hopes that it will give them relief to what they have going on. They're hoping it, we know it will. But sometimes the lives that we are living do not reflect the truth that we are sharing. And Peter was making a complete distinction of why they were questioning what they were doing. And he says, whoa, hold on. You may think you know, but you really don't know. And let me inform you as to why I do, why we are doing what we're doing. I love that. He didn't get all fired up. And Peter can get fired up. But he was very calm, he's very rational, he's very respectful, and he was reasonable, but he was firm. And he says, listen, you know Joel, you know David, you saw Jesus. It's he who's going to bring life to you. He stood on the scripture and their personal experience. We are terrified to talk about Jesus. We just are. Why? Maybe it's because we really don't understand what he's done for us yet. Maybe it's we don't understand all the ins and outs, and until we know all the ins and outs, I'm not saying a word. Well, then you're going to be quiet for a long time. The ins and outs that you need to know are already right here. We already have everything that we need to be able to stand confidently and respectfully, but firmly. Where are you standing today? What are you standing on? Your emotional experience, some kind of weird interaction? Or are you standing firmly on the fact that you know God pulled at your heart, drawed you to him, and you submitted your life to him for him to be Lord of your life? You can stand firm on that because that's scriptural. We know that to be true. And then all the things that he will do from here on out are opportunities for you to share and talk about. Here's how amazing my God is. Let what they see speak to what you know. And if they can't see what you know, then maybe you don't know what you think you know. Listen, folks, we are definitely in the latter part of the latter days, in my opinion. Never really thought about that much until we got into Revelation and watching our world the last two or three years. Something's got to give. Are you ready? Do you know enough to keep yourself in tune with him? Or are you just kind of guessing and testing and hoping that it'll work out? Let me tell you something. This morning is a perfect opportunity for you to say, you know what, God? I've just been kind of doing my own thing and hoping that it's going to work. But this morning, I'm going to commit it all to you. You may have never, ever even thought about Serving someone bigger than yourself. Today could be your day. 
Today could be the day of all days where you say, you know what? I can't figure this out anymore. I am submitting my life to a holy God. I am claiming his forgiveness for my sins, and I'm going to allow him to be the one that calls the shots from here on out. It's that simple. It really is. Use what you already know, Christian, to get yourself out of some of these holes. We dig the biggest holes in hopes that God's just going to get us out, and he can, but he's already given you the tools to get out. Stop digging the holes. At some point in time, we're going to have to be big girls and big boys about all this. Because when we stand before him, he's going to expect you to be a big girl or a big boy. No more excuses are going to work. There's no more running and hiding. There's no more trying to fix it on your own because this is going to be you and him. Let's jump ahead of that and just submit today. And let's make the rest of this life a little easier than what we are living right now. And that's simply by allowing him to be Lord of our life. As the praise team comes, here's a couple of questions that I want you to think about. Number one, how do you respond when people speak of your faith or of God? Are you mean and nasty? Do you get all up in a huff? Or do you recognize that they're not really attacking you, they're attacking God, and your responsibility is just to talk about how great he is and how much he loves them? That's hard for us because a lot of times we feel, especially right now, that we have to be quiet about this. Peter is in the middle of a festival, of a major feast, surrounded by lots of people that he don't know. And he steps up proudly and loudly and says, hey, let me tell you something. Not expecting you to go to work tomorrow, stand up on your desk and say, hey, I got something to tell you. Not looking for that. But when the opportunity comes, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will let you know that that is your shot right there to talk about how great he is. And you will be courageous and confident and stand firm on what you know to be true. Question number two, are you able to share about your faith with others? Are you? When's the last time you had a conversation with one of your neighbors or coworkers or even family members? Well, and you don't understand. No, I do. Oh, but you're in the office all day. You work at the church. Stop that. I do get it. Listen, I get nervous. I get a little apprehensive. But I know how special my God is, and I want people to know it. But I don't want to just talk it. I want to show it in how I live as well. And maybe the reason you don't have a voice in your workplace is because you claim verbally one thing, but you live something completely different. Question number three, are you representing Jesus without having to use words? How are you reflecting him today? I'll be standing up here for a few moments. Be happy to pray with you. The altars are always open. Today would be a good day to make some changes, man. I'm telling you. He's waiting. You know he's here. He's already tugging at your heart. I already know that. Not because I'm psychic. I just know how he works. (laughs) Stop being scared. Stop being scared. If you really trust him, then do something about it today. God, I appreciate all that you do. Your word is powerful than any two-edged sword. And I pray that the words that have been shared today would pierce the hearts of the hearers and the believers that need it. Move within us all. Challenge us with where we're at and take us further than we thought we could go. We love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.